Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, July 19th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And we bring you the latest record, Jill, that Taylor Swift has smashed as of yesterday. Speak Now, Taylor's version. So, you know, as many of you may know, she's re-recording her albums. Now with Speak Now uh, hitting number one on the Billboard charts, she officially now has more number one albums than any other woman in history. Uh, She now outpaces Barbara Streisand, uh, who had 11 number one albums. Taylor now has 12. One of my favorite Taylor Swift songs, Dear John on Speak Now. It's her savage kind of like revenge song against John Mayer. And I am here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Jill, for those of you keeping score, now with 12 number one albums, she's tied with Drake. And now just behind Jay-Z, who has 14, and the Beatles, who have 19. So she's now tied for third all time. All right, let's get to some other news here. The latest on the U.S. soldier who defected to North Korea. And another one, more legal problems for Donald Trump. He says he's received a target letter from special counsel Jack Smith related to Smith's investigation into January 6th. On to 2024 politics, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin not ruling out running for president as a third party candidate. As if he could annoy Democrats in his own party even more, Jill. We'll explain. <laughs> the politics of all of this. A potential breakthrough in the unsolved killing of rapper Tupac. You weren't expecting to hear that one today, folks. Mosh, I actually had to do a double take when I saw (laughs) that, and I'm like, what? Cannot wait to get to that story. We'll tell you what the Las Vegas PD is on to here. How hot is really too hot? The heat index has reached 152 degrees in the Middle East as other records break across the globe. And in entertainment, ABC is giving us the first glimpse of The Golden Bachelor, its first dating reality show with a 71-year-old bachelor and senior bachelorettes. I, for one, think it is about time. Jill, I think there's a lot of interest out there. Uh, And it also speaks to the age of the network audience these days. And a writer's strike. Yes. And Moshe has on this day in history. Jill will have a little bit of women's suffrage, Richard Nixon, and Mad Men for you in On This Day in History. All right. A U.S. soldier crossed into North Korea, quote, willfully and without authorization and was believed to be in custody of the country's forces, U.S. international officials said on Tuesday. The United Nations Command, which operates the Joint Security Area, or the JSA, within the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, first confirmed that a U.S. national had crossed the border. U.S. officials told CBS News the soldier in question was Private Second Class Travis King, who has been released from military detention in South Korea and was being escorted out of the country for disciplinary reasons. After going through airport security to leave, he somehow returned and managed to join a border tour group before crossing into North Korea. A person who said they witnessed the event and was part of the same tour group told CBS News they had just visited one of the buildings at the site when, quote, this man gives out a loud ha 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 and just runs in between some buildings. That may have been the most perplexing part of this story, Mosh. Jill, (laughs) there's a lot of bizarre (laughs) developments here because the first headline that crossed on Tuesday was, uh, you know, that a U.S. soldier has been taken in the DMZ and you're like, oh my God, what's North Korea up to here? 
And then you realize that this guy basically crossed over himself. Yeah, the United Nations Command security forces that had been escorting the tour chased him, but they couldn't catch him in time, according to officials. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said they are still trying to piece together what exactly happened, but that, quote, what we do know is that one of our service members who was on tour willfully and without authorization crossed the demarcation line. The White House is also monitoring the situation, which came amid heightened tensions over North Korea's nuclear program. So we continue to learn things hour by hour here. Our understanding, based on multiple media reports, is that King had been punished for some misconduct while serving in South Korea, was being sent home to the U.S. He'd also recently been released from a South Korean prison where he was held for assault charges. Now, whatever ramifications he was facing at home, it's unclear what led him to actually decide, maybe things will be better for me in North Korea as opposed to boarding this flight. Now, given what we know about Kim Jong-un and the way he deals with these things, he may not see this for what it is, which is an individual uh, who, you know, clearly is making some confusing moves here. He, Kim Jong-un, that is, might confuse it for some act of war. So not surprisingly, Jill, within a few hours here, North Korea did what else? Launch some ballistic missiles uh, into the East Sea, also known as the Sea of Japan. Uh, that's according to the South Koreans. No one injured there. But uh, pretty traditional response there from the North Koreans. Also unclear what they're doing with him right now. Remember that there have been multiple Americans held through the years by North Korea, some uh, unfortunately meeting some pretty bad circumstances. As far as how he made it across in the DMZ here, tours of the DMZ, if you've ever been a tourist to South Korea, they've been ongoing since the 1960s. They're organized by private companies. The UN does tours for its own staff there. It's just about 30 miles north of Seoul, the capital of South Korea. It has a huge uh, historic importance. That's where the armistice uh, was agreed to that ended the Korean War back in 53. So tourists often go there, but the fact that you would cross that and actually put yourself into the hands of the North Korean troops is, uh, you know, very questionable behavior here. The Americans are still trying to figure out what's happening and, of course, what this means for diplomacy, this one individual, and what this means for the larger situation that involves the North Koreans, the South Koreans, the Japanese, the Chinese. I mean, that's typically how these things go. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, tensions are high. When are tensions not high between us and the North Koreans, the regime of Kim Jong-un, especially in recent months as he's been launching multiple missiles? Uh, there has been a fear also that Un could be on the verge of doing another nuclear weapons test, which would be a significant escalation here, go against a bunch of agreements. There have been multiple military exercises recently, too, as the U.S. You know, continues to prepare the Japanese and the South Koreans for the potential that Kim Jong-un could try to declare war at some point. And so uh, this week, actually, uh, the USS Kentucky arrived in South Korea. That's a nuclear-powered submarine uh, at a naval base that we have there. So this situation we'll have to continue to monitor. But again, what's wild here, given the circumstances the countries we're dealing with, is this one guy has now created an international incident uh, and it remains to be seen what it's going to require of the U.S. to bring him back home uh, and how Un reacts to this in the days to come. All right, now back to the United States. Some more legal trouble for former President Trump. He revealed on Tuesday that he expects to again be indicted by special counsel Jack Smith, this time by Smith's January 6th grand jury. In a post on Truth Social, Trump cited what's called a target letter that he received from investigators over the weekend 
Such a letter almost always means an arrest and indictment, Trump wrote on his social media platforms. Trump's already been indicted twice this year, once by New York State having to do with the Stormy Daniels hush money investigation, and then another time by Jack Smith, but in the classified records scandal. Despite the new invite, targets of criminal investigations rarely speak to grand juries, and Trump has not exercised that right in the two other criminal cases in which he has been charged. The letter, though, is the clearest sign yet that Jack Smith is close to seeking a second indictment of Trump, this time, though, for his role in the effort to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power on January 6th. So you'll remember days after Smith's first letter, which was related to classified documents that was back in the spring, just days after that became public, Trump was charged with 37 criminal counts covering seven different violations of federal law. Now, with the specific crimes that Trump may be charged with in this investigation not really clear, Smith's team has been eyeing potential obstruction charges related to Trump's actions in the days leading up to January 6th and on that day itself, including pressuring his vice president, Mike Pence, to unilaterally block the certification of Biden's electoral victory. Investigators have also examined Trump's consideration of a plan to seize voting machines from states, also his campaign of false claims that the election was stolen, and his role in advancing a plan to assemble bogus slates of presidential electors to stoke a conflict ahead of January 6th. It is unclear whether other figures associated with Trump's effort are also in Smith's sights. So let's just back up here and remind folks that basically Jack Smith, special counsel, was appointed when it became clear Trump was running for election again. And Merrick Garland, the attorney general, said that, you know, given there's a Biden classified records investigation, I, got, I should appoint a special counsel there. And then I should also appoint a special counsel related to all the Trump stuff. And that's two things federally, right? The classified records and January 6th. As you noted, Jill, there's already a 37-count indictment on the classified records. We've covered that extensively. Uh, that continues to proceed. This January 6th situation, though, he has not filed indictment yet. But this letter indicates he might be close. And the investigation on this track uh, has already interviewed dozens of prominent figures in Trump's orbit. That includes Mike Pence. That includes Trump's former attorneys, uh, who are key allies in his effort here. Two of them had their phones seized actually last year. And so he could face obstruction here. It's unclear what has been happening behind the scenes. We certainly learned a lot when that indictment came out on classified records about what he was up to at Mar-a-Lago, or at least what, sorry, what he's accused of being up to at Mar-a-Lago. There was actually a hearing related to that uh, on Tuesday, the judge Aileen Cannon down in Florida, hearing the case from the Trump people that he doesn't want to have to deal with the classified records uh, trial until after next year's election, that he's way too busy for that. She didn't really buy his argument. By the way, that's despite the fact that Cannon was appointed to this role by former President Trump. At the same time, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, wants that trial to move forward as soon as this year ahead of next year's election. Uh, and she didn't quite make a statement related to that either. So we're going to wait for her ruling on when the classified records case is happening. So that's federal indictment number one. Then you have January 6th would be federal indictment number two. But let's not stop there. There's the state situation. Just to recap, folks, two state indictments, one actual one potential. The one you mentioned, the Stormy Daniels situation, that trial begins next March, Jill. That's multiple felony indictments on the state level in New York. Then there's a situation in Georgia where we could see an indictment as soon as August. That's related to election interference specifically in Georgia. So uh, to recap here, one federal indictment, 
one potential, one state indictment in New York, one potential in Georgia. So we could be in a situation uh, as soon as this fall, Jill, where the former president could be facing four indictments, two at the state level, two at the federal level. And there are other cases we could discuss here, but I don't want to get into them at this point. But that certainly is keeping the former president busy on the legal front. It's actually one of the reasons, too, that he would like to be reelected president or in the least have another Republican elected president, because at least those federal ones in his mind would go away because he'd be in control of the Justice Department and could kill those cases. Okay, now let's get to our sponsors this week, starting with Bowl and Branch. We often talk on this podcast about all the forever chemicals and bad stuff that's in our food and drinking water. But did you know that most bedding is actually made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? I, for one, did not. Well, Bowl and Branch is uh, doing it better without all those chemicals. Bowl and Branch makes luxury sheets without any toxins or harsh chemicals. They use 100% organic cotton. Their sheets get softer with every wash. Most, you and I both have Bowl and Branch sheets, and I could tell you that is really true. I remember when you first said that, that they get softer the more you wash them, and I thought, Okay, sure. Uh, But I can attest that they actually do. Also, with this hot weather, they're breathable and perfect for the heat. They are loved by millions of sleepers. They come in 10 colors in all sizes. And uh, best of all, Bolin Branch offers a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. Right now, for the Mo News community, you could shop their annual summer event. Use the code MONEWS to get 20% off today at BolinBranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. Exclusions do apply, so see the site for details. All right, we also want to thank one of our longtime sponsors, Athletic Greens, as well this week. We're always talking about health trends, food trends, how hard it is to get all your nutrients these days. Well, one way to get all the important ones is through Athletic Greens AG1 powder. I first tried AG1 last year when I was having trouble getting all my nutrients, Jill. I had vitamins I took in the morning, some in the afternoon, some in the evening. Well, AG1 simplifies all of that. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, it's quick, it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics to support your digestion and gut health. And right now they have a special deal for the Mo News community with your first purchase of AG1. Athletic Greens is offering all of you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash mo news to take advantage of the offer it's an opportunity for you to really start to take ownership over your health okay time now for the speed read back to politics here with this from cnn moderate democratic west virginia senator joe manchin leaving open the possibility of running as a third party presidential candidate in 2024 he mentioned this at an event hosted by the centrist group no labels he said Monday that he wants, quote, to make sure the American people have another option if Biden and Trump are the party nominees again. He did say that chatter about a possible unity ticket with him and former Republican Utah Governor John Huntsman was premature. Manchin also promised that if he did run, it would not be just to be a spoiler. He said, if I get in the race, I am going to win. The concern among Democrats is that a third party run would siphon more votes from Biden than Trump and ensure that Trump is elected again. Manchin disagrees and believes he can win. The event this week came as no labels, a Washington based advocacy organization 
looks to recruit a Democrat and a Republican to form a bipartisan presidential ticket in 2024. No Labels founder and CEO Nancy Jacobson said that No Labels is near its fundraising goal of $70 million, which will go toward its efforts to gain ballot access for its would-be presidential ticket in all 50 states. No Labels is scheduled to hold a convention next April in Dallas, where it will formally nominate its presidential ticket. Jill, we get a lot of questions on the Instagram account about No Labels. It's been around for more than 10 years as this centrist uh, third-party option, all about bringing the two parties together. And it's taken on a renewed significance and, frankly, has gotten more fundraising as the parties uh, have come apart and are doing less things to work together. Let's take a listen, though, to a bit of Mansion um, on Monday uh, explaining the rationale behind what they're doing. We're here to make sure that the American people have an option. And the option is, can you move the political parties off their respective sides? They've gone too far right and too far left. If that movement can move, but they can't be done, that can't be done unless they're threatened. The only way you can threaten is have people out there that says, listen, they can't win, either side can't win without the independent. Without that independent, that center left, center right, an independent Republican, an independent Democrat. If they have another option, and they're in trouble. Both parties are in trouble. Most, whatever you think of Joe Manchin, most polls do show that a majority of Americans do not want Donald Trump, do not want Joe Biden, and do fall somewhere in the middle. Right. And that's an argument that they've been making for a while. But uh, Democrats will say these are not normal times anymore. And they say that the risk to the democracy, risk to America is existential here. Uh, and that uh, especially someone like Manchin, who has a D after his name, should know better than to risk it all uh, for the sake of what they believe is his own ego, frankly, or his own popularity in West Virginia, where voters there uh, would reward him for sticking his finger in the eye of Joe Biden. Uh, they're saying, Joe, you know better. Don't mess with this election. Every vote matters. Uh, and this is a big issue, right? Because if you look back at 2016 and you look back at Hillary Clinton's loss to Trump, it was very narrow. The third party vote share in 2016 was 6%. And given that she lost by less than 100,000 votes in a few different states, they blame third-party candidates for her loss. Now, in 2020, the third-party vote share went down to 2%. There was no significant real person running there, and Biden won. So the argument from Democrats is avoid this third-party thing. If there's a third party, it's going to take votes more away from Biden than Trump. Joe, you're sort of a pain in our butts here in the Democratic Party, but you help us ensure a majority in the Senate. Uh, please, can you not do this? Yet, no labels, uh, not committed to just running Joe. They're committed to running somebody if Biden and Trump are the nominees. And that concerns folks um, on the left who don't want to lower the threshold for Trump to win, uh, You know that he will only need 46 or 45% of the vote if a third party candidate runs. At the same time, though, to your point, to the polling, to you know, Manchin's point, you know, he said at this event, when are people going to say enough's enough? We hear it every day. Enough is enough. Can't you work together? What about us? What about this great country? And he genuinely believes, John Huntsman, the Republican there, genuinely believes, you remember Joe Lieberman? He's involved in this effort too. They genuinely believe in a middle way where the two sides can work together. Uh, and they say, this is not about spoiling anything. This is not about getting Trump reelected. In fact, most of that group, you can say, are not Trump fans. But what they will do, again, according to Democrats, if you look at some of the data, is potentially ensure a Trump reelection. So this is something to watch very closely. Uh, should the result be a Trump-Biden 
um, election. Uh, and no labels right now working really hard on getting on the ballot in all of the states. So when they hold their convention, which they say will be in April, and they uh, nominate somebody, that they'll actually be on the ballot and they won't have to be a write-in campaign. But when you go to the polls next November, you'll have them as an option. And so it'll be very interesting to see um, how the arguments work here, um, given how close 2016 was. And by the way, 2020 wasn't that much uh, narrower. If you look at the four states that Biden uh, was able to beat Trump in, uh, if 60-something thousand votes switch in 2020, Trump's reelected. That's how close the margin's been. And that's what why Joe Manchin here and no labels uh, makes folks on the left particularly nervous. Another reason is because they've got money and un- and and for better or worse in politics, money talks. It buys you a lot um, in the way of ads and just marketing and getting your name out there. It's extremely important. And they have that, which is something a lot of third party candidates do not. They have the money and they also have the message, right? Because we've been talking about people frustrated. And at a time when the majority of America doesn't want one of these two guys uh, to run the country again, um, this will resonate with enough Americans who have like, I've had enough. I'll go for the third alternative. I don't care if they win or not. It's the end result of that and how that could break down in various states that could be very interesting. And by the way, you know, we've been talking about how he could siphon votes away from Biden. There's also a scenario where a certain number of Republicans might go to Manchin too. And that's the argument that they'll make is like, actually, we think we're taking the same amount of votes from both parties. So I think it's very uh, early and too soon to say the net effect here, whether it's Joe Manchin, whether it's somebody else. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, it's something we'll definitely keep tabs on. And we haven't even touched RFK Jr., which is something that you and I have been meaning to do a podcast and a newsletter on. But he could potentially run as a third party candidate. Right. He has basically zero chance of winning the Democratic nomination, despite the fact that he's running the Democratic Party. Many of the issues don't necessarily resonate. Uh, but long story short, Jill, we're going to do a deep dive in the coming days on RFK, his chances, what's been going on, the most recent controversy over the weekend. But yeah, you could have the potential. You could have Biden, you could have Trump, you could have Manchin running no labels, you could have RFK running in there. Some would argue that just based on his issue set, based on the skepticism of uh, you know major corporations, the media, et cetera, he might actually siphon more votes away from the right. It could be a very interesting situation that plays out next November here. Jill, uh, I hate using this term, but it could be unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not unprecedented, that would be unprecedented. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, now to that potential breakthrough in the killing of rapper Tupac from the Associated Press. Authorities in Nevada confirmed Tuesday that they served a search warrant this week in connection with the long, unsolved killing of rapper Tupac Shakur nearly 30 years ago. Shakur was one of the most prolific figures in hip-hop. He was killed back in September 1996 in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas. He was just 25 years old at the time. The Las Vegas Police Department said that the search warrant was executed Monday in the nearby city of Henderson. A spokesperson for the department said that he could not provide further details on the latest development in the case, including whether it was served at a home or a business, citing the open investigation. Nevada does not have a statute of limitations for prosecuting homicide cases. Tupac was gunned down inside of a black vehicle stopped at a red light near the Las Vegas Strip. He was shot multiple times, 
rushed to a nearby hospital where he died a week later. Jill, I did a double take when I saw this headline because I was like, I can't believe there's a there's a Tupac murder breakthrough here. I mean, what's remarkable, and we'll get into this in a second here, is the fact that this is still unsolved despite how prominent uh, he was and is, uh, and the fact that the murder happened on the Las Vegas Strip a place where there's no shortage of cameras. So that night in September of 96, he'd attended a boxing match with Suge Knight. Uh, You might remember Suge Knight. He spent a lot of time in prison himself. He uh, co-ran Death Row Records. Suge actually suspected in uh, various theories out there of having been involved potentially in Tupac's murder, uh, fearful at the time that uh, Tupac might be uh, leaving Death Row Records. And so no arrests were made in the case. Months later, by the way, people might recall, just in the spring of 97, Notorious B.I.G., Christopher Wallace, was shot and killed in L.A., also in a prominent place. That shooting, widely believed to have been connected to Tupac's. There was a whole East Coast, West Coast rivalry at the time, a lot of threats happening in music, in person, at award shows. There's a whole bunch of documentaries on this if you're interested. Anyway, the two murders of Tupac and Biggie. 30 years later, nearly 30 years later, both unsolved. So uh, interesting that Vegas PD says there's a development here. A search warrant was executed. Unclear uh, how much progress they made or how close they might be here. But it's certainly something as somebody who grew up on the music in the mid-90s, Jill, I have a personal interest in. And for those of you unfamiliar, Tupac, by the way, sold in just his 25 short years, 75 million records. Uh, You might know California Love, Dear Mama, some of his hits from then uh, in the early 90s. Moj, I am with you. I feel like anyone kind of of our age, his music was was the soundtrack of our youth in a lot of ways. And, and he and Biggie, both taken so young in these violent crimes, not solved, just really like you, I, I, I did a double take when I saw this headline. And again, so bizarre that like murders that were so prominent of these famous people, unsolved after all these decades. So um, imagine maybe some of the recent documents have put pressure on Las Vegas PD to actually uh, re-examine the case and see if there's evidence that they may have overlooked at some point. All right, from the Washington Post, as the Northern Hemisphere approaches summer's peak, heat is testing the limits of human survival in the Earth's hottest spots and demonstrating the extremes that are increasingly possible and probable against the backdrop of accelerating global warming. In recent days, China set an all-time high of nearly 126 degrees, while Death Valley in California hit 128 degrees. That's too shy of the highest reliably measured temperature on Earth. Phoenix observed a record-breaking 19th consecutive day at or above 110 degrees on Tuesday. And in the Middle East, the heat index reached 152 degrees, nearing or surpassing levels thought to be the most intense that the human body can withstand. So heat index, that is the feels-like temperature. That 152 figure comes from southwestern Iran, where the temperature was 104 degrees with a 90 dew point and high humidity. That, again, is basically the limits that humans can be exposed to. Yeah, so that's important here, a distinction here between some of the initial high temps, that this is a heat index figure. This is the feels-like figure, but still, that's what it is. That's what it feels like outside 100. 52. Jill, there actually isn't comprehensive data 
for heat index records because you know people are wondering is, is that the hottest of all time in terms of feels like we don't actually document that because again it's a calculation there between humidity uh, and heat but this part of the world does see uh, extremely high heat indices uh, back in 2003 saudi arabia and Tehran uh, actually had a 176 fahrenheit degree heat index uh, again taking the temperature and the humidity. So Jill, as we talk about, you know, how much the body can withstand here, you know, we should note that if you're not in a situation where you have air conditioning, fans, or shade, the only thing you can rely on to keep yourself cool is your own body, right? And so there's only certain things the body can do to keep itself cooler. Sweating is uh, clearly uh, the key thing the body knows how to do that transfers heat from the body to the air as it turns from a liquid to a vapor, but that has its limits. So the research has shown that the human body loses its ability to cool itself via sweating at 95 degrees Fahrenheit, 35 degrees Celsius. It's one of the reasons why authorities around the world have uh, been reinforcing in recent days with these record, you know, 100 and above numbers in Europe, in China, Middle East, uh, Southern US, uh, that people need to stay indoors because there's only so much your body is capable of doing even if you're drinking water, et cetera, to withstand these temperatures. Uh, you noted, Jill, the new record they broke in Phoenix, by the way, 19 straight days above 110 or at or above 110, uh, even a record by Phoenix summer standards. By the way, that record, 19 days, it could go to into the 20s or 30s. Uh, they don't expect to let up anytime soon in Arizona. But Moshe, it does raise the question of, of whether sometime soon – some of these places will just be uninhabitable. Yeah, there was a story recently about Basra, Iraq. That's the southern city in Iraq, the oil port city, where it's already gotten so hot that you know they're saying that at some point we might need to abandon this port city uh, and have a very limited population. This is a big oil hub uh, in Iraq there that borders um, Kuwait. And so there's going to be certain portions of the world if this continues. Now, by the way, this is not just climate change. We're in an El Nino year. So uh, when El Nino is over in the next year or two, could have a slightly cooler summer, but at the current pacing, you know, again, we, you know, we talked a bit about this on the Monday Instagram live. It's over on the premium podcast right now that uh, what we're seeing is changes that happen in the climate that typically take centuries or millennia. We're seeing in a matter of decades right now. Uh, and as earth changes and shifts related uh, to the warming that's happening, that that might mean population moves, massive population moves, whether it's water rising in certain uh, Pacific environments, you know, some of those islands, or in these portions of uh, you know the Middle East or Arizona, et cetera, where you know, it's just you're not going to be capable of being outside for months at a time. And so, what sort of life is that? And so, ultimately, do people move? And it'll give rise to this idea that's already out there that the UN has talked about, uh, about of climate refugees, that people will have to move because the climate is switching. Either it's too dry, too hot, too wet, too this. Uh, and so, that's something to keep in, in mind here. And it certainly is supercharging the conversation about what to do about climate change. There's a summit going on this week between the U.S. and China, the two largest polluters in the world. John Kerry's in China right now, and we'll see if that comes to anything. And you and I joked um, that, no, of course it's not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there might nice be an try, agreement guys. to make an agreement to make an agreement. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, what? It's, it's no coincidence. Uh, look, China had its hottest temperature of all time this week. And this translates to productivity. There was a study that came out of China recently that when it's 100 or above, you know, the production in the country, the economy freezes. So there are real, I mean, we can talk about the heat, we can talk about summer, summer, people can question it, but there are real economic consequences to the lack of productivity that's possible 
when we have this extreme prolonged heat. And so you can talk about the prices and the, and the economic impact of various legislation related to environment. At the same time, though, climate change also has its major economic impact. And that's something we can continue to discuss. All right, Moshe, let's talk entertainment. We got to lighten this up a bit. Good, good. I agree. <laughs> From People, ABC's first ever senior citizen bachelor, Gary Turner. A 71-year-old's grandpa from Indiana will star in the spinoff series ABC calls A Whole New Kind of Love Story, one for the golden years. The description says that this is a chance for Turner to find a second chance at love in the search for a partner with whom to share the sunset years of life. The cast of the original series has typically been in their 20s and 30s. Turner is a retired restaurateur who loves barbecues, playing pickleball, and Chicago sports teams. In 1974, he married his high school sweetheart, Tony. They were together for 43 years. They share two daughters and two granddaughters. Tony died in 2017, and Turner is now ready to find love again, according to his family. The Golden Bachelor airs on television this fall. Jill, have you seen the interviews with him yet or the pictures of him? I saw the picture. Cute, cute guy. Good looking guy. Looks pretty young, actually. He looks a very young 71. Uh, ABC says they've cast uh, a group of women who they describe as having, quote, a lifetime of experience living through love, loss, and laughter, hoping for a spark that ignites a future full of endless possibilities. So The Golden Bachelor, they first started talking about this uh, back in 2020. They had a casting call on Instagram, and then COVID happened. So that sort of froze things for a while. Uh, they were casting anyone 65 and older uh, for this event. So it's not clear that there'll be 20 and 30-somethings uh, bachelorettes looking for love with Gary here. But there are endless possibilities here for ABC as this is their latest spin. Off. You might have seen uh, Bachelor in Paradise, uh, which actually has been probably the most successful spinoff. But there was Bachelor Pad and then the Bachelor Winter Games that they tried in recent years. So they've had Bachelor, they've had Bachelorette. Now they have high hopes for Golden Bachelor. And Jill, expect a bit more of this, as we noted with the SAG after strike, with the writer's strike. Uh, Rally TV is something that the networks can rely on because, you know, it doesn't require a writer, doesn't require actors. Uh, and so, you know, depending on how long this goes, they might fire up more of these. Uh, interesting historical note. Last time you saw a major strike here, 07, 08, uh, a certain series called The Apprentice wasn't doing well, about to be canceled. Uh, they found a slot for Celebrity Apprentice that year. And so some people say, if it wasn't for the strike, uh, <laughs> would Trump have gotten that extra attention? Uh, that he was able to catapult into uh, the presidential run a few years later. Now, that's, you know, pure speculation, et cetera. One of the other shows, though, that did get a lot of attention, uh, that last strike, 0708, Jill, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, also premiered that fall. And that was another show that uh, probably got much more viewership due to the fact that they were not scripted series uh, for a few months, though. So you're telling me, Moshe, we got the Kardashians and Trump. So I guess depending on how you feel about both, um, a big moment in pop culture history. <laughs> I, for one, though, back to the Golden Bachelor, I was curious to see how old the Bachelorettes were going to be. And I'm relieved mm. that they appear to be casting 65 and up because I was not interested. Age appropriate. Yeah. Right? I'm like, I don't need a 71 year old bachelor dating people my age. I just, I, just, I can't, I can't handle it. Jill, at least for this run, that does not appear to be the case, but I, I can't speak to future seasons of golden bachelor or bachelorette. 
All right. Uh, continuing with the historical theme here, Jill, let's go to On This Day in History. On this day in 1848, the women's suffrage movement in the U.S. was launched with the opening of the Seneca Falls Convention. They were seeking at that convention to gain certain rights and privileges for women, notably the right to vote. That would uh, take another half century uh, before women would get that right. All right, fast forward now to the 20th century. The Houston Astros hosted the Phillies for the first ever Major League Baseball game on AstroTurf. AstroTurf has had its fans, has had its critics. Uh, today, I believe they say about five teams still play on AstroTurf. Uh, you know, some people attribute it to a lot of injuries with baseball players. Uh, so about five baseball teams. I think there's more than a dozen football teams that still play on the artificial uh, surface. All right, fast forward to the 1970s. On this day in 1974, the House Judiciary Committee recommended that President Nixon should stand trial in the Senate for any of the five impeachment charges against him. He would resign just a few weeks later to avoid impeachment. Jill, that was back then in the 70s when impeachment was something presidents cared about or were at least worried about. I've heard it said to me recently by a senior Republican official on Capitol Hill if Nixon was around today, he probably wouldn't have resigned. It's a great point. It was thought to be a really, really big deal. Now, who isn't being impeached? <laughs> Twice. All right. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> we'll end here with a, few, a bit of pop culture news. Uh, on this day, 28 years ago, Jill, the movie Clueless came out starring Alicia Silverstone. As if. There. <laughs> I don't miss a beat. With Clueless? I <laughs> If it happened between 1991 and 1999, Jill can quote it, everybody. Uh, sticking with uh, premieres on this day in 1995, Road Rules, the MTV show, premiered uh, on this day. It was the you know counterpart to Real World at the time, Real World taking place in various cities where they put random strangers together. Road Rules, basically the same thing, but in an RV as you traveled around certain parts of the country. And back in scripted television, we end here on this day in 2007, 16 years ago today, the first episode of Mad Men aired on AMC, starring John Hamm. It gave us all the throwback to the era of the Madison Avenue men advertising world of the 1960s. So I think that if you asked me my favorite series of all time, and I had to pick one, I think it's Mad Men. I just adored the show. Who was your favorite character? So you're probably expecting that I'm going to say one of the women, maybe Joan or Peggy, who are both awesome characters. Incredible characters. I yeah. happen to love Don Draper, John Hamm's character, and Roger Sterling. I just thought he was great. I agree. The John Slattery character uh, takes the cake for me. So I guess we're both on team Team Roger Sterling. <laughs> Jill, actually, that show is one of the reasons why back to yesterday's debate over uh, productivity after four o'clock. <laughs> Remember that show like they're depicted in the 1960s where people are like drinking in the middle of the day, having like two o'clock martinis. Come on. It's never been that productive that part of the day. With all due respect to the Wall Street Journal trend piece from this week. They're also smoking in the office. I, I think that a lot has <laughs> changed since 1960s office culture. On the contrary, you and I both currently working remotely uh, in our sweatpants, at least I am, <laughs> from different offices. And so let's wrap the podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Thanks to all of you who are helping us grow by joining Mo News Premium. You can do that over in Mo.News. Gives you access to our members-only Instagram, members-only podcast, uh, and also just helps us continue to grow what we're doing on the newsletter, on Instagram, and here on the podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast.